This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. As we begin the second hour of Kelly and Rumya, myself at the home studio, London, Ontario, Rumya over there at the studio in Toronto at our main office, I want to remind you the show debuts on AMI-tv weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern time, Monday through Friday. Check us out on the best of Kelly and Rumya over the weekends on AMI-tv. And on AMI-audio, you can find us first at uh, 4 p.m. Eastern time. If you're listening in, wherever you're doing that, thank you for being with us. And repeated on both networks at 10 p.m. Eastern time, plus an overnight and a first thing in the morning repeat. So uh, lots of opportunity to catch the program whenever you get a chance. Rumi and I appreciate it, and uh, thank you. And hopefully you enjoy the show and really love you hanging on and riding along with us. One of the great things we get to do on this program that we're so honored is visit with our community reporters. Generally, we have them on Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. This week, we're slipping one in tomorrow because of the Monday vacation uh, holiday that we, we were not on the air for. Today, though, we go out west. It's time to welcome in our community reporter from Edmonton. Mark Workman joins us. Mark, welcome back. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Always uh, awesome and uh, glad to have you with us on the show as we we enjoy having fun, carrying on, and uh, getting paid for it. Anyway, Mark, <laughs> uh, when we last met, you had an upcoming trip to Europe. Uh, tell us, how did it go? Where did you end up going with this as we do a travel check-in with you? Yeah, so the uh, plan was to go to Lisbon, Dublin and London, which I was able to do. And so the main reason for the trip was the European Blind Union General Assembly. So they're one of the regional affiliates, you could say, of the World Blind Union, and they hold, held their mm -hmm. General Assembly. Uh, they do it every four years, brings together leaders within the blindness community from, from all over Europe. So that was sort of the main reason for the trip was to head over to Lisbon. But on my way, uh, because I was going to be in Europe anyway, um, our member in Ireland, known as Vision Ireland, invited us over to have a look at their new wayfinding center. And then we also made a stop in London for a few days to visit with RNIB and a few other partners there. So it was a, oh, it was a good trip. Wow, a lot of great contacts, a lot of kind of catching up, I'm sure, uh, in key places when we talk about that throughout the world. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about the Wayfinding Centre in Ireland? That sounds kind of cool. So cool. Yeah, definitely um, an interesting element of the whole trip. Um, and it might be worth, you know, having someone from Vision Ireland on the program to talk a little more in depth. But I'll just share oh. sort of my impressions of it, because it's really unlike anything that I've heard of before, or seen before, it's this really large warehouse sized space, you know, in the neighborhood of 31,000 square feet oh. that Vision Ireland has taken over and they've designed it such that there are a bunch of different modes of transportation within this space. So they have, for example, a double decker bus, which I had never been on myself. They have a train car, like you might have like a subway car or a light rail train car. They even have a small airplane um, in this huh. space. 
And so the, the whole idea behind it is now you've got this um, space that you can really customize. It's great for doing training, like orientation mm -hmm. mobility training for those people who might be new to site loss. Also those people who are providing services. So if you're flight attendants, if you're uh, a bus operator, then you might go to this space to receive training. Those are kind of the obvious ones, but they were even talking about having like schools may be interested in doing visits uh, to, to check out some of this stuff. The firefighters were saying they would like to use it for training. So, I mean, I think what's really exciting about this space is all the potential it has. Yeah. Like, we yeah. don't know what it's going to look like, what what is going to happen a year from now, because those ideas haven't even been thought of yet. Um, no, so wow. it's really kind of a cool, cool space. And I look forward I to seeing how it all evolves. I used to find that fascinating in Toronto. We used to hear about the under Bay Station station. And at one point, they used that for low vision blind people, for mobility, for people doing cane training for them, teaching and working with uh, with guide dogs. So uh, these places, as you said, there's so much, there's so much available to, to, to help everyone, not just us learning how to, mm -hmm. you know, deep plane or, or maybe get, you know, off a plane, but um, like the firemen, like so many people to do rescues in that. Go ahead, Rob. Yeah, it's same. I just love the concept around not knowing exactly what it is, but there's all this space for collaboration, for creativity, for accessibility, obviously, and training. These kind of specialized spaces, because we're aware of uh, some around Canada, right? Closer to home for us, we have the W. Ross McDonald School or uh, mm -hmm. Lake Joseph Center in the Muskokas, where people utilize these spaces for so much more than the original intentions, and the original intentions already are such incredible places to start so i'm very curious and super excited yeah that definitely like i say i'll um i'll do an email introduction and maybe you can have someone on who nice. can tell you a little bit more about the history of it and how it all came about yeah okay awesome mark and and sounds like a really great um uh kind of european uh trip for you as well with all the places that you hit uh, going closer to you in Edmonton, because last month an important report was released by the Child and Youth Advocate in Alberta, and the report looked at the experience of young people with disabilities and um, the child intervention and youth justice system, so the experiences and such. So you've had a chance to review the report. Can you tell us more about it? Yeah, it's a bit of a heavier uh, topic for this segment. So mm -hmm. this report was released at the end of January, as you mentioned and it's called beyond barriers it's from the child and youth advocate here in alberta and what it does is it offers a close look at the experiences that young people with disabilities are having when they interact with both the youth intervention system so that's usually where you might uh, have children who are in foster care or who are in other types of maybe temporary care adoption uh, that part of the system as well as the justice system where you've got uh, children who may have had experiences with with the law and and i think what i found really interesting is the word experiences really is key here because what they did was they interviewed a lot of different people, young people with disabilities themselves, but also people working in this space. And for me, what I found quite powerful about the report was they pull quotes directly from the interviews. And so you really get to hear in their own words of the children or the younger folks of the people working in this industry, uh, exactly what those experiences look like. And I think that can make it really um, helpful to hear it from them in their own words. Yeah. Now, I, sorry, go ahead. 
I was just going to say the findings um, of this report, I think, won't be super surprising, right? Mm -hmm. That's, um, we we learned that a lot a lot of younger people with disabilities are not receiving the supports and services they might need within these two systems. So, you know, examples might be if you're a younger person with uh, mobility disabilities and you end up in foster care, are the places where you're being placed, are those um, spaces, are those housing situations, is that accessible to you? If you've got mental health or intellectual disabilities, will the person who's providing care to you, uh, will they understand, will they have proper training in how to, to support you? Um, so these are the kinds of findings that came out of this. And then there are a few recommendations as well. And this is provincial, right? You're talking um, yeah, they're looking okay. at the, the provincial uh, system. Now, there's going to be some overlap with the federals, especially when we're talking about in, Indigenous people, uh, that the two systems have some have some overlap. Uh, but these would largely be controlled by um, provincial governments. Okay. Yeah, like you said, the, the findings are probably not surprising, especially if we're just really hearing about these kind of things uh, a lot with our own you know, networks and lived experiences and just keeping in touch with disability communities. But uh, it's very important, as, as we talked yesterday to the Chief Accessibility Officer of Canada, uh, Stephanie mm. Cadu, like it's important to have the, the advisory and the specific, um, I guess, perspectives of people living and then be able to formally curate all that into a report and for recommendations because it's just something to go off of right mm -hmm. yeah i think we i mean we talk about nothing about us without us yeah i think mm -hmm. that uh that phrase has even started to evolve a little bit to the idea that it's nothing without us because Absolutely. even these things even these things that you might not think are disability related have impacts on, on people with mm -hmm. disabilities that are that are unique. And so really we need to be at the table, providing our perspective in all kinds of areas. Everyone's impacted. Mm -hmm, for yes. sure. Yeah. Well, and as we got into it with Stephanie, I say, Mark, using reports like this to support advocacy, the question we always have, and we talk on this program, how does this help us, especially when people have to be, you know, when we have to ensure this isn't just gonna be left on a shelf somewhere? Yeah, I have a lot of those same questions and, you know, it doesn't help when the fact that one of the recommendations in this latest report was basically to go back and implement the recommendations from a report three years ago. Oh, gosh. Right? So we, oh, yeah. that is we very know that, uh, that sometimes these reports that uh, that things are not happening with them. And so my general view on these types of reports is that on their own, they don't really do a lot. But what they do is they provide us with tools that we can use in our advocacy work. So I think a report like this uh, with, with different recommendations and findings can help us, the community, put some, like give us some leverage that we can use with decision makers. So we need to mm -hmm. constantly be asking, you know, those, those in charge, what they're doing to address the recommendations in the report. And we can't just ask it once, you know, we need to keep asking, we need to have others ask these questions um, with us as well, like the media or the opposition. Yep. And we essentially just need to put sustained pressure on the decision makers here. And this connects to me uh, quite deeply because in my own work, which is at the international level, you kind of have a similar feeling that what happens at the international level on its own 
it doesn't have the same weight as a law, for example, yep. right? It's like a report. They don't have the weight of law, but they do carry this moral weight, I think. And if we can use it to our advantage within our advocacy, I do think in the long term, it can help us, it can help us make meaningful change. Certainly. And it's awful because so many of us don't want to think about as we age, disability coming into our lives, being a bigger part of our lives, affecting us. So we don't want to talk. We don't want to understand necessarily, not to be ignorant, but we just, oh, I don't really know what to say or do about this. It's really disturbing. So we end up shelving so much and not being able to justify the cost that might be involved to make some of these changes, to bring some things into law, to legislate and encourage. So therefore, it's a total avoid a lot of time, Mark. But you're right. Um, you know, so many things are at least guides and, and look back. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you again next month. You betcha. Our committee reporter uh, from Edmonton, Mark Workman, joining us. A lot there to unpack, ladies and gentlemen. Great, great stuff. We appreciate what Mark brings and all our committee reporters when they're here with us Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays on the program. Tomorrow we will have another report. Kim will be here to give us a report from the Yukon. So do check in with us tomorrow on the show. Up next in our Traveling with JJ segment, J.J. Hunt takes us to New York City to explore all it has to offer from street life to public living. We get into that, do a lot of learning, closing our eyes and experiencing right after this. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Juita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.